The new year is often a time of reflection, a chance to look back on the past 365 days and remember. Sometimes the memories bring a smile, and other times they break our hearts. Chances are you've experienced a bit of both this past year. The new year is also a time to look ahead, to imagine what could be, to scan the horizon with expectation and seek God's guiding hand. It's a time to strive for better, to live louder, love stronger, and be more of who God has created us to be. It's an opportunity for new beginnings, a chance to start fresh, to pursue God with a renewed passion, and to press on with all our hearts. The truth is, God has been faithful this past year, and that faithfulness promises to carry us through the next. As a new year begins, may we remember this one simple truth. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Amen. Hey, let's give another hand to a faithful God this morning, Encounter Family. So, great stuff. Well, I hope you are just enjoying being a part of our 21 days of prayer. We are uh, seven days in. We have 14 days ago where we're asking our church family, if you would like to, to give up something you're passionate about, a gift, a blessing in your life on a daily basis, to remind you to pray. And we're sending out these video blurbs. And so we just ask to be lifting up our church family in prayer and be praying for California. There's so much flooding going on right now and so many people experiencing uh, really challenging circumstances. So we're just lifting up our state and and our nation at the same time as well. Well, I want to begin uh, with a story today about this woman by the name of Sally, a young woman. She had just gotten married and she came rushing into her pastor's office and she'd just been married three weeks before. And she's like, pastor, pastor, I got to talk to you. She was in, you know, just hysterical with him. She's like, man, me and Mike, we just had our first fight in our marriage and it was awful. It was terrible. I can't tell you how bad it was. And the pastor She's like, it's okay, Sally, it's okay. It's really normal. Everyone has to have a first fight in marriage. It's super common. Everybody walks through it. And Sally kind of, you know, just impatiently says, oh, I'm so glad to hear that, Pastor. But what do I do with the body? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, marriage can be tough sometimes. Can I hear an amen? And we are talking about resetting some of our most important relationships in life with the power and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And next Sunday, we're going to be talking about friendship. And today, we are going to focus on one verse that talks directly to husbands in the marriage relationship. And it's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And I'm actually going to ask for a little bit of latitude today as uh, your pastor because this verse speaks to husbands. And so I will talk to husbands at different times throughout this message because I consider this verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 to be the Super Bowl, the World Series, the Masters, the Wimbledon of marriage verses in the Bible. This is one of the fundamental verses for marriage in the Bible, and it's this place in the Bible that helps two teammates 
compete on the highest level possible in the marriage relationship. And just about every marriage seminar I've done or pre-marriage counseling or marriage counseling, at some point I come to this verse because of how important it is uh, for the marriage relationship. Because in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, we find five, I'm sorry, four courageous commands to transform the marriage relationship. And the re reality is, is that marriages drift this covenant promise that we enter into before God, they drift. And we just got through this crazy season called COVID. And we, you know, we, all these patterns were changed in our life. And people are still kind of figuring out life uh, since that time. Also, we're entering 2023 as a new year. And so what better time to just ask God to reset, as an entire church family, the marriage relationships represented in our church family. And so married or unmarried, male or female, whether you are, whatever, wherever you are in life, God has something for you in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And although this verse I will share is written directly to husbands, I want to point out to the dads in the room who have daughters, it gives you a great path at understanding your daughters better. And for daughters, it can give you great insight into the type of man you may want to marry someday uh, if you want to get married. And to young men or older men who might be married in the future, this is the type of man that you want to ask God to shape you into becoming and be in the process of becoming. And to wives, although clearly Peter is writing this directed by the Holy Spirit, speaking directly to husbands, the principles that we are going to find in, these ver in this verse, whether the husband is applying them or a wife is applying them, they are multiplied in a marriage relationship when both people are applying them. Because then the husband is doing them, a wife is doing them, along with the partnership of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's really nothing more powerful than that. Can I hear an amen? So let's read this amazing verse. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. I usually read from the ESV or English Standard Version, uh, but I memorized this verse years ago, and so if I use any other translation, I'll be messed up the entire message. So here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Would you pray with me? Father God, anytime we talk about marriage, there are so many emotions and thoughts and feelings that go through us. All of us have different life stories connected to this topic, and so we just ask for your grace today. We ask for your encouragement. And Lord, for the husbands in the room, since this verse is written from your heart to their heart and to my heart today, God, as a husband, we just ask for your grace and encouragement. And may you just give us a, a spirit of movement today, Lord, towards you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated. Well, basically, Peter gives us one simple, powerful verse for husbands. And I find it fascinating that in the verses before, Peter has basically given six verses directed at wives. 
But he seems to understand that for husbands, we need it boiled down. We need just the basics. And so Peter keeps it very straightforward, and he packs all kinds of theology into this one little verse. Easy enough to memorize and put in our pockets. And the question is whether we have the courage to take these principles out of our pocket and use them. And so he does so with four courageous commands. Now, husbands, I want you to see up here I have two chairs. And my premise today is that every husband, counting myself in the room today, is sitting in one of these two chairs. I'm going to call this chair number one, and this is chair number two. Chair number one represents the Niners. (laughs) Chair number two represents the Seahawks. All right? No, I'm just kidding. Chair number one represents the Dodgers. No, okay. Giant, no, something, something like that. No, chair number one represents a man who is genuinely giving his marriage to the Lord. You know that you're not perfect. In fact, you know you're so broken. You know you struggle at times. And you feel like you fail in your marriage so often. And yet you have this genuine desire to have God lead you as a husband in your marriage relationship. In fact, you actually are beginning to believe. It's a process, but you're beginning to believe verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, that says things like this. But we have this treasure, Jesus Christ, in jars of clay, these bodies and lies of ours, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, chair number one types of men or husbands, they realize that really in being a part of a marriage relationship, it's about the power of God being unleashed uh, in that marriage. And in chair number two, it represents someone where your heart has gotten a little hard. It's gotten a little cold. In fact, often when we sit in this chair, and I have sat in this chair often, often when we sit in this chair, we get kind of comfortable in it. In fact, you really don't know anything different after a while. It's just the way life is. And you've come to this place where you've kind of given up on your marriage getting any better. You've given up on anything kind of changing, and you feel stuck and your heart is often full of blame when it comes to your spouse, you have given up the fate of the game, and you are only in the fourth inning. And yet over here in chair number two, you're humbly asking God, Lord, would you lead me? And what it means to be a husband? And would you lead me forward? And would you help shape my marriage and shape me into the man that you need me to be in this marriage relationship? In fact, you're praying that regardless of your spouse's response at the time. You're just praying it for yourself regardless of how she's responding to you in that moment. And yet when we're sitting over here in chair number two, sometimes we're just focused on what can't happen. And we're focused on what's wrong with our wife because everything's wrong with our wife. And we're focused on just waiting for her to make the first move to get things better in this marriage relationship. And very likely, when we sit in this chair, somehow in the midst of life and just doing everything and getting married and you know, all the things that go on in life, somehow we've compartmentalized Jesus right out of our marriage relationship. He's a part of everything else, but somehow we've just moved him out of that spot somehow. 
And a few comments to those who are, who are not husbands today. Women who are single, I'm telling you, you want to have some men in your life who sit in this chair. You want friends in your life who sit in this chair. You want some encouragers in your life who sit in this chair. And if God ever leads you to get married someday, man, you want to marry someone who has a heart to sit in this chair by God's grace. And for the young men who are in the room, if you want to know what a true godly man looks like in a marriage, what a godly husband looks like, you want to look at what someone who's in this chair, someone who actually believes that God's word is the key to living life and to having a strong marriage. Someone who actually believes what God said in the book of Ephesians is true, that the husband is called to love his wife like Christ loved the church in giving his life up for her. In fact, I would tell you that when you sit in this chair, you're someone who knows that your wife needs love like she needs air. And you also know all too well that when we slip over to this chair, we suck the air right out of her. And the reason I can say that is because early in my relationship with Amy, she's sitting over here today, I sat very comfortably in this chair. You may not believe me, but you can just ask her. <laughs> and here's the beautiful thing today, before we get to these four courageous commands. The lie, the big lie, is that you have to stay in this chair. And the truth is that you can walk out of here today being a man seeking after chair number one. And don't listen to anything else as you go through these four commands today from the Lord in his living word for your marriage. Four courageous commands to transform your marriage from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Let's remember how the verse began. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives. I love how practical the Bible is because the first courageous command we are given is to live with our wives. That means to be there in our full person with them. If I were to give some words to describe that, to add to that, I'd say being there with them emotionally, being there with them physically. And one of the things we're going to do as we go through these commands is to think about what might the opposite look like. And the opposite of being there in our full person is where we're absent in mind or in body. And one of the things that so often happens in marriage relationships is sometimes uh, our spouse will confront us and, you know, we'll just think she's trying to control us. But most of the time, most of the time, husbands, when your wife confronts you, it's actually not about the confrontation. It's a lot of times wives confront to connect. And that is the heart behind it. You might feel like she's trying to control you, but often behind the scenes is a desire to connect and to feel loved. And there are a lot of ways that we can kind of end up over in this chair and be, be not with our bride physically or emotionally. Now, I want you to know I'm a big believer in spouses supporting each other's hobbies and, and, and passions and, I mean, golf, backpacking. I, I love to backpack. I, I once went on a three-week backpack trip. I can't believe Amy let me go for three. Our kids were little. I left her for three weeks, but we just passionately help each other live out our passions in life. Yet at the same time, sometimes we can become so passionate about something, we start to leave our spouse out of our life as we're focused on that. And we start to not give them any of our free time. 
And so there's certain attitudes that keep us in chair number one, or I'm sorry, in chair number two. And this is where you begin to say things like this. You know, you come home after work, and both of you are coming home, however it happens, and you're like, oh, man, I'm so tired. I just got to watch a little TV, and then, you know, then we'll talk. You know, before you know it, the night's over, and you're asleep, and you haven't talked at all. Or, you know, I deserve some downtime by myself, and then we'll spend some time together instead of being with her. And usually what keeps us from sitting there, if we were to take a step back and kind of look at life and look at those things that prevent us from being with, being together, uh, what we often find is, at least I find, is if we would just take a step back and look at that thing, most of the time I think we'd be embarrassed with how small it is in comparison to the gift that we've been given in our bride and, and in, in our wife. And I, I want to be as practical as possible today when it comes to the courage that First Peter's calling us to. And so one of the ways to be with your wife and your full person is to actually schedule times together without, uh, special times together without kid interruption. And I would tell you, husbands, if you're the one who plans the time together, plans the outing, you get bonus points. I'm just telling you, you do. But if your wife is the real planner in your marriage and she's willing, go for it. It really doesn't matter. Uh, it's about spending time together. And I don't remember where I first learned this, but I share this with couples all the time. Basically, once you get married, you need 15 minutes a day, a few hours a week, and a few days a year of uninterrupted time together. It is a fundamental principle for your marriage. And if you have kids, that means with, without children. 15 minutes a day, a few hours a week, uh, a few days a year at a minimum. Now, Amy and I, we have found this beach that we love going to. It's one of the things we really enjoy. We just go on this long walk on this beach and... There's a little drive to get there and a little drive time. And there's a cafe that's not far away. And we'll, we'll bring the dogs with us sometimes. And they just get all wet and stinky. And yet we can still bring them with us to, you know, to, this, to this restaurant. And it's just some great time to talk and be together. And you might be wondering where that beach is, but I'm not telling you. <laughs> I am not telling you. We have only lived here for four months, but I'm claiming that beach. It is ours. And I don't want to see you on my date with my wife. I'm just telling you right now. No, it's just a great time for us to be together, uh, together as a couple. And so 15 minutes a day, a few hours a week, that's a date, and a few days a year at a minimum. And when you come home from work or your wife does or both of you do, don't just flip on the TV. Just go be with her. Be with her. And one more, husbands, consider being affectionate without wanting more physically. And I know it's kind of an oxymoron, I'll, I'll admit it. But sometimes, either you've been together all day long, you come back from somewhere, you walk in the room, give her a kiss. Give her a hug. Hold on a little longer. Grab her hand. Intertwine your fingers. If you're sitting next to each other, just scoot over just a little bit so she knows you're there be with her feed her soul be with her in your full person and peter continues you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way courageous command number two is to understand her by asking questions and listening 
And I want to ask this question. If, that, if courageous command number two is to ask questions and to listen to your wife, then what is it that keeps us in chair number two most of the time? And I would tell you what I hear from people most of the time that keeps them in chair number two is the belief that men cannot understand women. Have you heard that before? All right. Now, I want you to know we have been married for 24 years. 24 years. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. And I will tell you, after 24 years, it is absolutely true. Men cannot understand women. But the lie is that we can't understand them better by asking questions and listening. And that part of us that's different is part of the spark. It's part of the allure. It's part of what makes the relationship special and and, and better all at the same time. So what's the opposite of asking questions and listening? Well, the opposite is what I like to call silent indifference. Ever been there? I have. (laughs) You know, you're in chair number two, you're not talking. Sometimes when we're in chair number two, it's just thick-headedness. Sometimes it's selfishness. Sometimes it's, you know, just blindness. And this is what happens. Let's say for some reason or another, our wife is trying to connect with us and somehow we shut down and so we go into chair number two and all of a sudden... Our wife sees us as like a mysterious island. I mean it. This is what happens. It's like a mysterious island. And so all of a sudden she gets in her kayak and she starts paddling around the island. And she's paddling and paddling and paddling. And she's looking for a way on the island. And you are on the island and you're feeling like you're being controlled. You're feeling like she's asking too many questions. You're feeling like all these things go on on inside. And all she really wants is on the island. And yet you're acting like Santa Cruz Island on a stormy day. There's no way you're getting on the island. There's no beach access. There's no nothing. You are completely shut down uh, when, that, when that happens. Now, I remember uh, one of the big arguments that Amy and I had. Uh, you're gonna, it's, you know how the big arguments are over the silly things? Have you noticed this? All right. As soon as I tell you the topic, you're, you're going to laugh at me. All right. Here, I'm, and I'm wondering whether any of you have had this big argument. And by the way, your pastor and his wife, we have arguments. Okay. Just so you know, we do. All right. And, and, but this was a big one. You know, it got ugly. And this was the topic of the argument. Smelling and needing a bath. <laughs> I'm serious. Now, you don't need to raise your hand, but have you had that one? Okay, obviously it wasn't Amy smelling and needing a bath. And just so you know, it wasn't me smelling and needing a bath. It was our dogs. And they smelled and they needed a bath. And in the field house, generally speaking, our children give the dogs a bath. But for whatever reason, nobody was around to give the dog a bath. And we were dividing and conquering that day. And I was supposed to give the dogs a bath. And I didn't want to give the dogs a bath. And I came up with every reason why I shouldn't have to give the dogs a bath. And I was really upset. And I was letting her know that I wasn't going to give the dogs a bath. And really, what was going on in that moment was she really wasn't upset about me not giving the dogs a bath. I was being mean. I was being hurtful. And all that would have moved me from this chair to this chair would for me to have a little understanding and actually ask, why, why is this important to you? And just listen to her. 
and listen to how I had made her feel by my actions towards her. It's all it would have taken. And by the way, one of the things I've learned in our marriage is my Amy, she has like a sense of smell. It's like a superpower. I mean, compared to me, I mean, it's like 20 times stronger for her than it is for me. And Peter says, if you want to sit in chair number one, then ask questions and listen to your wife and communicate. In fact, you know you're in chair number one when you ask questions and you listen and you can actually repeat back what it is your wife just told you. And that when you repeat it back to her, you actually capture some of the emotion that she said it to you with. That's really when you get bonus points. And yet in chair number two, our stubbornness and our selfishness went out and when you're in chair number two you are convinced you are right and you are convinced it is her job to make things better in this moment Uh, that's where we are in chair number two and when all it would take to move from here to here is a little understanding to ask questions and to listen now i want you to know that in the marriage relationship it takes practice to ask questions and to listen And it takes as much practice as it does to play golf. It takes as much practice as it does to work on cars. It takes as much practice as it does to do whatever it is that you are excellent at in life, whatever your trade is. That's how much practice it takes to get get better at asking questions and listening. In fact, it usually takes husbands a lifetime to perfect this. And I'm going to just give you a little warning that when your husband begins to practice this principle in your marriage, it's a little bit like when someone's starting to lift weights for the very first time or after a very long time. It's like there's just a little bit of weight, but they make lots of noise. There's like guttural noises. And so when, they, when they're asking you questions, it's going to be like, uh, how are you doing? So what you're telling me is you feel sad because of what I said. You know, it's going to be that bad. It's okay, though. It is scientifically proven, men in the room, that you can grow in the skill of asking questions and listening. It's a proven scientific fact. In fact, a little side note here as far as scientific studies go. In the marriage relationship, 95% of the time when a man is communicating, he does so for one purpose, and that is to exchange information. Generally speaking, 95% of the time. Women, often in the marriage relationship, they're communicating to release emotion and to be heard and to be listened to. So some points of application. If you ask your your wife a question or she walks in the room and you guys are talking, stop whatever you're doing, turn towards her. I fail on this all the time. I'm just confessing it right here. And actually listen to what she's saying and ask her some questions about what she is saying. And when you reconnect after a day of being away from each other and you each have your stories that have built up in your day, just, just turn to each other and, and give, yourself, give your attention to her. And if you end up getting in a little dispute together, it really doesn't matter how illogical the idea of what you're talking about sounds or how illogical she seems to you. It's really not about the logic. It's not even really about the issue. It's about love. And loving her. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor. Courageous command number three is to show her honor. And I'm actually going to come back to that statement where it says she's a weaker vessel since she's a woman, because I know how much everybody loves that little statement, all right? 
But Peter says, grant her honor. Well, how do we do that? How do we live in chair number one? Will we grant her honor by speaking well of her and valuing her? And, and the way we sit in chair number one practically is that when we're in private, we turn to her at times and we tell her what we love about her, we appreciate her, we value her face to face. And other times when we're out in public with others, we talk about how amazing she is and the things we love about her. We value her. We, we speak well of her. And what is the opposite thing that we show when we're sitting in chair number two? Well, I would argue that most of the time it's sarcasm, because that's easy, and criticism. And sometimes it's just being harsh and cynical and resentful. We're all good at that at different times in life. But I would tell you that nothing will wilt your bride faster than sarcasm and criticism. Nothing will suck the air out of her heart like that. Nothing will disconnect the love hose between you two and you and her heart than when you speak to your spouse in that way. And fathers, I'm, I'm just going to say this because I, I have two daughters and I just want to represent them today. Your daughters do not need your sarcasm. They get it all day at school. They need to know how much you appreciate them. They need to hear you say, I love you. They need to know why you love them. One of the things that I got onto as a young dad, wasn't perfect at it, but I sure tried to do it. And I still try to do it today, even though my daughters are 20 years old, is I had dad time with all my kids. And I put them on a rotating schedule. And when my kids were young, they knew whose week was who. And we, we would go to school a little early. I'd take them to Starbucks. I mean, I was cheap. I'd give them like a donut and split it. But it didn't matter. They didn't know. They did. Josh is like, oh, you're kidding. You know, and, and it, but it really didn't matter. And, and I will go to great lengths to get one-on-one -on -one time with my children. And one of the things you know when you're in the zone, especially with your daughters or even your sons, is that when you're with them and you're getting that one-on-one -on -one time, just enjoying it, eating, whatever it is you're doing, at some point, though, in the conversation, you want to just look across the table, eye to eye. You want to say, you know what I love about you? It's this. You know what I appreciate about you? I'm so proud of you because you're doing this, especially when they're having tough times, to find those things that you can just say, oh, I just want you to know I love you, even though this is really hard. Only I can say that like that to my daughters. Only you can say things like that as a mom, a grandpa, an aunt, or a father. And you know you're in the zone in those moments. This is how I knew, especially with my girls. It's like I'd be speaking some things over them, and they'd start to squirm, get uncomfortable. That's when you know you hit the heart. Speak well of them and value them. And then Peter says this crazy, crazy little phrase. Women hate it. As with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. And for years, women have detested that little phrase. And for years, theologians and pastors have tried to explain that little phrase. And we've said things, well, maybe Peter is just basically stating the obvious. That men, generally speaking, are physically stronger than women. 
I mean, we had the Olympics not long ago, and it is true. The fastest person in the world at this point in history is Usain Bolt. He ran a 9.58 second 100 meter. The fastest woman in the world was Florence Griffith Joyner at 10.49 seconds in her 100 meter. That's fast. The world bench press for a man is 885 pounds. That's a monster. The world bench press for a woman was done by Becca Swanson. She was able to bench 601 pounds. She is considered the strongest woman in the world at this present time. Others say, well, maybe what Peter is getting at and what God is getting at in his word is just this idea that you know, he's talking about wives in the verses before this submitting to their husbands and it's this like spiritual role that the wife is in where she's being, having to submit to her husband, so it's a weaker role. And sometimes people buy into this idea, I call it the blind obedience crowd, where like you have to do it because God said so, and God doesn't just say so. Or sometimes, and, and people will sometimes say that it's because of that submission word, it's this weaker role. But really, that doesn't make any sense, because just after he talks about wives submitting to husbands, the verse says this, you, husbands... Likewise. Huh. So, husbands are to submit to their wives as well. Huh. So, so you're telling me that the Bible actually teaches mutual submission in the marriage relationship for the relationship to thrive. And, and meaning, you know, to thrive. And so then you go, well, really, what is God saying? And well, if you look at that word weaker in the Greek culture of the time when Peter said this, it carries this meaning like precious, delicate, valuable. It would be an illustration like seeing your wife like a precious, delicate piece of art that is of such high value that you just want to protect her and nurture her and love her because of who God has made her. And I shared this earlier, I very confidently sat in this chair early on in my relationship with Amy. And I would tell you that for a period of time, I tried to critique her into the woman I thought she should be. And she began to wilt like a flower without sunlight or water. And we began to get really distant from each other. And then I started talking to this guy in my life. He was an older man in my life, a godly man. And I was telling him about what was happening in our relationship. And he said, you know, John, love is a commitment. It's all gift. It really has nothing to do with how you feel. It has nothing to do with what your expectations are for Amy. It's a choice that God empowers in us in our marriage relationship. And the beautiful thing is that you can actually move from this chair to this chair today by starting to value your bride and speaking well of her face-to-face -face when you're one-on-one. -on -one. And even sometimes when you're out in public with others, you just drop a bomb like, oh, isn't Amy amazing? And you just honor her with the people around you. And so show honor by speaking well of her and valuing her. Speak highly of her in front of others. And if you have children, 
I mean, just speak well of your wife in front of your kids and give her encouragement and praise face to face. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, since she's a precious woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Courageous command number four is to treat her as a partner in faith and in life. And what is the opposite of sitting in chair number one? If this is to treat her as a partner in faith and life, what is the opposite of that in chair number two? Well, the opposite is to treat her as a servant. And if you buy into the model of spiritual leadership where it's kind of like my way or the highway, you will treat your wife like a servant instead of as a partner. Or if you buy into what I label as the blind obedience crowd where you got to do it because I said so and God says I get to say so, which he doesn't say by the way. But if you buy into that, you will treat your wife like a servant instead of a partner. In fact, it was Jesus who once said, the greatest will be your servant. And so God has actually called husbands as spiritual leaders to be servants and to lead the way as servants in the marriage relationship. And then Peter points to something that's even deeper. He says, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And he's referring to the gift of grace that God gives us through his son, Jesus Christ. None of us deserve grace. None of us deserve forgiveness before a holy God. And it's a free gift, whether you're male or female, whether you're married or not married, no matter who you are, because of what Jesus Christ did in dying on the cross for our failures and for our sin. And in chair number one, when you're sitting in chair number one, you know that you're forgiven by the grace of God. And as you're experiencing God's forgiveness for all your brokenness that's always coming up in life, you get to share just a little bit with others. You get to share some of that forgiveness with your wife. But when we choose to sit in chair number two, we hold on to grudges. We demand dues. We make our wife pay if we want her to feel forgiven. And yet in this chair over here, you're reminded too painfully all the time that it's always a gift from God every time. And so forgiveness is actually a gift all the time for all of us in all of our relationships. And then Paul gives this incredibly insightful ending because I believe he's a chair number one kind of man. So that your prayers may not be hindered. And Peter is saying that when we seek to live these courageous commands out, whether as a husband or as a wife, and the principles work both ways, by the way, when we seek to live those out, not only does it strengthen our marriage, but it strengthens our relationship with God. And so, husbands in the room today, I invite you with me to be husbands who live with her by being there in your full person, to understand her better by asking questions and listening, to honor her by speaking well of her and valuing her, and to treat her as a partner in faith and in life. I've had the privilege of doing a lot of marriage counseling in my life as a pastor. And one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of times when there's a challenge in a marriage, it's one of these four commands that's being missed somehow. Couples aren't spending time together or they're 
not speaking well of each other or, you know, one thing or the other, or they're not honoring, they're not, they're, they're treating one another as servants versus partners. And usually it's just getting back to where God has given us the blueprint and following it to get us back on track again. And the beautiful thing is, even though Peter directs this at husbands, and he basically says, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, he calls you to lead as a servant towards these beautiful things in your marriage relationship. But the beautiful thing is, whether you're a wife or a husband, God can use you to bring these principles into your marriage and to love each other by living them out for one another and modeling them for one another before the Lord. In fact, if you are married today, I would invite you at some point this week, sit down with your husband or your wife and just pull out these four commands, read them through together, and just ask each other, which one of these four, you only get one, okay? Which one would you like more from of me so that I could just breathe some life into our relationship? And don't defend yourself, don't make excuses, just say, okay, and take some time to pray together. Let's do this together and share it for one another. Don't beat each other up. Just, man, it would just mean a lot if we could spend a little bit more time together. 15 minutes a day. A couple hours a week. A couple days a year. Don't walk out of here today thinking you're stuck in chair number two. You are not. By the grace of God, you can be growing as a chair number one kind of person in your life. And God can use you to feed your marriage. God can use you as a light with your kids. And God can use you as a great man of God by his grace as a husband. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray you'll speak your grace into this topic. Lord, all of us who happen to be married are struggling or challenged in one form or another, and we just ask that you'll give us the courage to follow the direction that your word leads us. And we ask you to empower the marriages of encounter. And we ask that you would just Shine your light as we follow after you in that, Lord. Lord, protect the marriages of this church. Empower husbands and wives. Pour your love over us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.